Sure. This is your trip that I got invited on. <laughs> yeah, sounds good. So welcome to our next episode of Clinically Press. We're sitting here at the, in the hotel lobby at the Holiday Inn. Uh, the first for us. Yeah, it is. First in a hotel. Um, we are in Milwaukee doing a DNS seminar with Brett Winchester, a chiropractor, and um, Alex Earl, also a chiropractor, correct? Um, so yeah, we're just kind of going to fire some questions and pick their brains a little bit. We had an awesome day today learning about DNS and exercise and uh, always a pleasure learning from Brett. Um, I took several seminars and anytime taking a seminar with Brett, I mean, you just learn a ton, no matter no matter what. I mean, yeah, it is. Man. It makes you feel good. It, it really is. I mean, it's so, so informative and I've taken other DNS courses before and stuff, but there's always stuff you pick up on and like we mentioned today, you know, there's, hear things a different way, you know, from a different instructor and I don't know. Yeah, it's been good. So looking Great. forward to tomorrow and part two in January too. So, Joel, your first DNS? Yeah. Uh, completely different. This is something I like the athletic training profession misses out on. I think it's unfortunate. You touched on it a little bit, like rehab. And I don't even know, that's, I didn't go to chiropractic school, but you don't get these things that seem to actually like really fix problems. You don't get into that nitty gritty during your academic stuff. And, you know, we try and harp on with our kids. You know, the source of pain isn't necessarily what's wrong. Yeah. It's where it's settling, but it's not, it's just a symptom of something bigger. And I think this is what I've been kind of looking to try and take the next move in my career is to utilize more of this instead of. You know, patellar tendonitis. Well, we got to look up through the quad and all those things. We're taking it to that next level. Yeah, I think it's hard because I think like if we're all honest with ourselves and we look back at our careers, like how often like we were working on like symptoms and compensation yep. and not actually getting after the root problem. And I think uh, the other thing is in having the confidence to um, plug in the right global treatment. So what happens like in chiropractic and physical therapy is. We live in a very orthopedic model, which means like if your knee hurts, we feel the need that we have to work up the knee and do something with the yep. knee. So um, it's very difficult even with my students to get them to be able to like think outside of the problem where their problem is. And then the other thing too, within that same thought, like being able to understand how we can integrate many different ideas and treatment techniques within the treatment. It's like if we're talking about patellar tendonitis, we may need to dry needle the patellar tendon in the spot where you have irritation. Right. We may need to eccentrically load the tendon in a non-functional position, but just to get eccentric load on the tendon right. as we're also, or in conjunction with, good DNS exercise right. and maybe adjusting the ankle or the hip or, you know, and um, so very few people in the world are good at integrating all of those things together. So, I mean, I think that's the quest and the journey that all of us are kind of on to do it in the most time efficient way, you know, and uh, do the best job. With this. So with the, uh, one, one condition that I've found to be difficult is like a high hamstring tendonopathy. Yeah. What have you found to be a beneficial so change? For that? First thing, because I've been fooled on these so many times. We talked a lot about hamstrings today. We rule the spine out. So, um, so a lot of times high hamstring stuff ends up being like um, L5-S1 disc herniations, just like in the neck. C5, C6 disc herniations will show up in the, like underneath the scapula, basically. So it's weird, like 
because there's never been the same disc herniation twice. So the, it, as crazy as it sounds, the first thing we rule out is we rule out the spine even when we are almost 100% dead to right that it is hamstring. Then once we've ruled out the spine and we determine that it, it is hamstring, then we really work on like what we've talked about today, which is intra-abdominal pressure regu regulation. So if we have an error in the ability to, of the patient to be able to use their diaphragm to create correct stabilization in the low back, you'll always overload the muscles on the posterior. So paraspinals, hamstrings, things like that. So when you have a chronic hamstring injury in a runner, that is a very common thing that we see. So where the hamstring enters the ischial tuberosity, um, like a lot of times, like I will, if the left knee will stick a three inch needle in that area. So where the hamstring's inserting in the ischial tuberosity, it will agitate that area with the needle and then we'll reintegrate the hamstring in and function, like with DNS exercise typically. And then like sometimes we'll use a non-functional um, position or DNS exercise. We might even do like ball walkouts just to eccentrically get load on that tendon. So the research now with tendonitis and tendinosis is whenever we can, if we can get eccentric load on the tendon, really helps with uh, the healing of the actual tendon, even if it's in like in a non-functional position. So like knee up condylitis, uh, lateral condylitis, plantar fasciitis, Achilles tendinosis, like all those, we can use those principles and then in conjunction with DNS exercise or whatever else treatment technique we want. So um, the hamstring though, the missing link is intra-abdominal pressure. And you'll see that it's, al it's almost exclusively a runner's problem. You know, like when we see those high stubborn hamstrings. Yeah, so rule the spine out first. Make sure you're not dealing with, you know, a, a stenosis or a, a disc problem. And then once you've done that, then we're off and running with some of the, of the other stuff that you're seeing. So. But I don't, I love those cases. Like, there's never one where I'm like, damn, I cannot fix this, you know? Whereas, we kind of spoke today, like, sometimes like a lateral kind of lightest case can absolutely be a pain in the butt. But um, for the most part, the other tendonitis I think are relatively easy to manage once you know the right tools or have the right tools. Sure. So, just figuring out the why. Yes. Always. Always the why. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. That was another question I had coming up. And this has gone to something we've talked about before. And I've only been certified for five, six years, depending on it. So, still obviously very young in the whole thing, not a ton of experience, but did an ART course like my second year of grad school. Yeah. Went to the chiropractors and instructor forum. Just saw what he was doing, fixing up athletes, getting them through meets, things like that. Came back, you know, thought I was going to fix the world after I learned all my lower extremity. I worked for track and field. Yeah. Obviously, that didn't happen um, for a multitude of reasons and not fixing everything. And then just listening to you today, and I get all excited when I go to these because it's like, oh, I can use this to fix this and this to fix this. And with the Motion Palpation Institute and also DNS, like it sounds and it makes sense to be so effective. But is, is there something this could be for both of you since you run a lot of these courses? Like, why it doesn't seem to be like everybody has kind of bought into this yet? Is there a reason or kind of a um, stigma around it that you see? I, or something? I think just because it's hard. Like that's a good reason as well. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So it's very easy to say, you know, because everyone at the seminar, you know, I'm sure they're all fired up right now. And then come Monday, it, it be, it's way more difficult when you're back in your own setting right. and you don't have somebody over your shoulder telling you what's right. Or you're dealing with someone who didn't just sit through the seminar for a day and they know what looks right, you know. So 
I would say the biggest barrier to it is um, the it takes a, a certain skill level, I think, to be good at it. But um, I think in DNS, the courses have gotten so good over time that we've all gotten better at teaching it. So I think it is better to, or it's easier to integrate than it was. And um, I think people shy away from it because they're a little bit lazy and they're wanting like a cookie cutter way of doing things. And when you're dealing with the human body, that just does not exist. Like if you just, right. and that, that's a hard concept to grasp. Like if you break your watch, you fix whatever's broken in your watch and now it works. Like with the human body, there's so many different variables that are involved, you know, as far as, I mean, we can talk nutrition, we can talk joint motion, we can talk emotional issues. I mean, there's so many things that are involved with saying whether or not a patient's better. There's a lot of variables that, you know, are hard to control. So um, I would say that would be the biggest barrier in whatever. I would just expand on that. I would say that a lot of the seminars that I've gone to as well is that the attendees don't actually, they don't participate to the level that typical PMS seminars have. So when you're getting your hands, you know, hands on another body, it just adds to your own awareness of what's going on um, versus just, you know, a didactic lecture for 12 and a half hours, you get your credits, you go back to practice on Monday morning, and maybe nothing has changed. This has kind of taken a little bit more of a practical application that, you know, like you were saying earlier today, you can take any, any one concept, just take one thing that you learned, and there's four or five patients you can apply to it when you go to work on Monday. So for me, it was easy for me to make a mistake and then look back at my notes, look back at videos, you know, contact some of the people I took the courses with and say, what was the cue that you used for this? But what, what did I do wrong here? And then you just build off of it. And for me, I wasn't afraid to make mistakes. And each time I made a mistake, like I remembered uh, that didn't really work. And so the next time I took the course, my, my I feel like my skills in DNS improved every time I took the course um, because I kind of had that feedback of, okay, this wasn't going very well, but this was. So you know, I just kept building on each experience that I had with it. You get the sensation from that. You talked about the importance of sensation for how long today, you know? Yeah. You're just yeah. getting the, the tactile, you know. And then, like, so struggling with it. And then, like, we know now through all, like, the research with Anders Ericsson on, like, how people get good at what they're doing. It's about going into the treatment room, failing, and then coming out and immediately fixing what your failure was. And then the next time you go in, then that's how you learn. Whereas what the typical human being or clinician does, they go in, they forget, and then they just forget. Like, they don't ever, like, have that moment where they go um, fix their problems. Like, our saying is, like, in life in general is fail hard and fail often. Because the more you fail, the more you get better, you know. So there's no such thing as bad or there's no bad clinical outcomes because everything's always a learning experience to make you better in this journey of being a great clinician, you know. So, so if you live to be 100 years old, your best treatment will be when you're 100 years old because you will have, you know, 80 years of experience built into your hands and that more effectively helps you treat, treat people. So, like my typical students, we call them seminar gypsies. They're at a new seminar every weekend, which is fine except for the fact that when it's all said and done, their, their thoughts are so loose and scattered. So, um, unfortunately, when you have that, then they um, they lose their ability to focus on like what, what the ultimate goals are with the patients, and uh, that's like the typical biggest problem I see with like the present day student 
they're not great at anything and they're okay at like 20 things. I'd almost rather them be great at three things, you know, but that's, but there's so much competition now for seminars. Like you can go to a new seminar every weekend. When I graduated, it was traditional rehab, ART, and adjusting MPI. Like those were, those were your, your pillars, you know, like, so now there's just so many different things to buy for your attention. I can see the value in seeing what's out there. You know, you, you get the scope of all this different stuff that's out there, but then once you find something that's your niche, then really going for it. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, then, I mean, it like, it still sounds like you use. Yeah, I use everything. I use. Yeah, dry needling is just it's the knowing enough is to when knowing to use when it. to use what tool. I think it's it's not about having. It's good to have a bunch of tools, but more importantly, it's knowing when you would use a particular tool. So if you got like a ridiculous radiculopathy, we might do McKinsey until you're centralized. And then once we have that, then we would you know move you into a DNS protocol. Or if it's like a shoulder case, we might start with DNS, we might have to end up doing more like ART or soft tissue. Right. You know, if we have acute inflammation in a tendon, we're probably gonna dry needle day one. You know, so knowing timing's everything. I remember you saying before that anybody will figure this out eventually. It's just a matter of maybe some will figure it out a little bit sooner than others. Yeah, I think, uh, but then like I think a lot of our profession doesn't, you know, like they stay <laughs> stagnant and um, I think it's easy, like if you're not pushing yourself like you guys are, I think it's very difficult to keep yourself engaged. And then like my, my personal goal is like when I walk in in the morning, like, or when I walk out in the afternoon in the evening, I need to be a lot better than when I walked in, in the morning. So most people don't think that way. Like, I literally, if I see, let's just say I saw 25 or 30 patients in a day, I, I that, that face of patients should drastically improve me. So, like, my career, I'm getting better at a, at a very high rate. I joke with my patients who, I've been in practice 15 years, so, like, you were with me when I sucked. You know, like, <laughs> now I'm, you know, I'm in the process of, you're always in the process of getting better until the no, day you call quits. Yeah, so you're, it's not like from getting from point A to point B, it's just this constant journey of building on your experiences. And when they studied, like, Bobby Fischer, the best chess player in the world, mm -hmm. like, what he said he's doing is he's building memory traces. So every time he had an opponent, he never forgot that opponent's uh, move. So his opponent said it was really weird. It was almost like magic how he could predict my next move. And what he was able to do is he was almost like predicting the future because he had created patterns or what he called memory traces. And that's what we do as clinicians. So when a patient walks in, they have a trigger point here, they have joint fixation here, they have whatever their symptoms might be. You've already done that a hundred times, so you're able to draw from those categories and buckets. And then you have an idea, or the last time you did that, it wasn't effective. So this next time, you're going to tweak it a little bit. Or not even always with the treatment. Sometimes it's just like what you say to a patient. Like, you weren't effective in your communication last time. So then you learned, like, if I would have tweaked my wording a little bit this way, I think I could have more effectively communicated what I'm trying to do with the patient. I like how you talked about that a lot today. Yeah, like that's an art that is highly underdeveloped and being able to relay that having moved into more of the sports performances last year and just trying to get guys to do seemingly simple movements. But you gotta tell three different guys three different things in order for that belt, you know, to yeah, go I off. think too, I think like you pick 
sometimes we get lucky and we find stuff that we're great at, but then the other thought would be like, if you take certain people, it doesn't matter what you put them in, they're gonna like, if you put Mark King in the selling shoes, give him five years, he'll be the best in the world at selling shoes. Like, <laughs> so it, I think it's like the inner person that determines how far they're gonna go. And I mean, you gotta almost revel in the struggle and the journey of this. Like, you almost gotta like it as weird and twisted as that sounds. <laughs> And when you're when you have that thought process, nothing's a bad thing. Everything's you know a chance to get better the next right. day. And you know it's weird. Like at the end of the day, sometimes you're so frustrated, but it's so amazing how when you wake up the next day, the human beings are just you're ready to start it again. You know it's really really a cool thing. What else you got? You got a list. Oh, uh, the other big one uh, was just developing what you, and you've kind of referenced your multiple ventures and everything, but it sounds like you've got a clinic where it's very combined, you've got a little bit of everything in there. Um, probably could last for a whole hour you talking about, like how you kind of brought all that together and got people to work together. I mean, what I'm trying to kind of do at Interview Lacrosse and bringing Kyle and got you know, a nutrition guy and just even trying to combine it all just to make it work better. With everybody and just kind of pick your yeah, so in our office, it's I would call it an integrated office, which is um, we have we have chiros, we have now we have PT, we have trainers, uh, and we have functional medicine. So basically, like our our clinic, I saw the three big needs were manual treatment, training, and uh, functional medicine. Like those were our three things. So. And how I got to that is I saw that um, there was a group of people I wasn't touching that needed functional medicine or like really good nutrition counseling. Um, but I also needed that person to almost act like a psychologist and deal with chronic pain effectively, how to communicate that. And because um, a lot of times we struggle with finding the right psychologist that was able to communicate that in our world. So this lady's able to do both of that for me. Uh, her name's Dr. Ferlano and she's just such a dynamite. Um, and then the other thing was the training. I saw like so many people needed direction and how to move their bodies well. So basically all the different facets of our office, I think, were, um, they all are there because they were people that I wasn't like reaching the way that I thought that we needed to. So um, like, and then like I told you guys today, like so many cases when they get the right treatment, like it's amazing to see how the musculoskeletal piece gets better. I mean, if you have undiagnosed celiac disease, you will have more tone in your musculoskeletal system, for example, you know, or so, like, and how all that stuff is, is related, you know, and so that's that's kind of how I got to the model that we're currently, currently implementing, so. How do you see the, the future of healthcare in general in this country going in that direction more, or do you think it's uh, just kind of going down the wrong path? I mean, you think it's going to get better? I think, like, we have a problem in Western medicine because it's become so specialized. So even, like, within orthopedics, if you have a if you have a bad ankle, then you go to the foot and ankle specialist orthopedist who doesn't know much about the knee or the hip and how those, those all relate together. Um, we see the same thing with our uh, visceral conditions. You know, if you have an endocrine problem, you go to, or if you have a thyroid problem, you go to an endocrinologist. Well, they might not know your female health and they may not know you know, all the different things that are related to thyroid function, which is like 20 different things. 
So we end up like treating the local organ or joint or muscle without like taking a more overall holistic approach. It's very difficult to find someone who looks at the whole body, you know, and like it makes those those connections. So I think that is where medicine is should be going, but currently in the Western model it's it's a little bit it's a little bit off, honestly. You know. So but like it's interesting for me to see like the better the Western medicine a lot of times, the worse the physical medicine and stuff that we do. Because we we kind of rely on too much on our other stuff. Because we can take injections or we can have pills. It can mask symptoms. Whereas, you know, we're always, typical Americans are always looking for the quick fix, the easy way out, make my symptoms go away without, like, truly fixing their problems. So we try to convince our patients the importance of getting at the root of the, the problem of their condition, which it's, it's easier said than done. But then we also work very well with our Western medicine counterparts. That way, when we need their services, we use them. So we always say people usually reverse the funnel. So they start through Western medicine. Where they should probably start with us, and then when we're not effective in treating them, then we can use medicinal purposes or surgeries and things like that. Uh, your comments on surgery were really interesting today. I actually got to go out and observe uh, Dr. Bird do a surgery. Awesome, yeah. He was a cross country runner, go yeah. figure, but heard his uh, hip doing some poor exercise. He was just swinging his legs in circles and laying on his back, and it just run under four minutes two weeks before, and then all of a sudden his season was done. But it was just one of those, you know, for a guy like that, not gonna do something where he was pushing off, or you know, he's not a soccer player, he's not a hockey player. I didn't know any of this type of stuff. Then could we have gone a non-surgical route potentially? Because all he's trying to do is run as far as he can. With a little bit of a left turn in it. Yeah, points. But you know, it's interesting. I mean, like a guy like a, a Philip Ron or a, a King or a Tom Bird. Like they'll tell you, like the surgery is not a home run. You know, like so they're. I've noticed they're very open to conservative treatment, but I think like the big debate is getting people to good conservative treatment. So today right. we talked about the gold standard being a trial and care. That's all fine and good, but it's tough to find people who I would trust to give a really good trial and care. You know, what people want is they want to call me and say, oh, I have this patient. Do they need surgery? It's like, I got to find someone in that area that I trust that can like really make these good changes. And then we reevaluate and we see, you know, if the structure needs to be altered or not, you know, because we obviously don't have tools to change a torn labor ourselves. Right. All we can do is make the environment better around that torn labor. Yep. And a lot of times they do great. But the reality of it is if all of us have an MR on five of our hips right now, we'd all have tearing in our labor. So the question becomes, who needs surgery and who doesn't? And right. the only way to that is to really trial care. Makes sense. I'm good on mine, so whatever you got. The, the breathing. Uh, when you have patients go home and work on like intra-abdominal pressure, um, will you um, have them almost like do a meditation or something at the same time where they're just really trying, because you talked about how just getting them to, to relax and how freeing that is almost for sometimes people that are just carrying that tension all the time. And then for them to just be like, oh man, I can I can just let this go. Um, 
have you done that at all or do you find that it's helpful? I, mean, I, I want to say yes to that. The one thing is like, even like in the world of sports, we don't use the term meditation just because it automatically brings weird frequency notions to the idea. So in sports we call it mindfulness, ironically. <laughs> but it's the same thing, only... Um, so sometimes we got to make the weird seem normal. So sometimes like if we get too down that road, I think we lose some of our, our street credit. So I typically don't make them be in a meditation environment. And the other thing, like I don't want them to think that they need to be in this perfectly pristine environment for them to work on proper respiration. So, um, I mean, I think one of the benefits of breathing training, well, we know this to be true, is, you know, it, it can literally pull someone out of an anxiety or panic attack. So it's very powerful stuff. Um, however, I would say on a typical patient, we just have them run wherever they are on their day with the exercise. Gotcha. But it's it's so easier said than done. Like, getting people convinced to take every breath is, you know, it's, it's a daunting task. Yeah. Especially, I mean, they can't think about that 24-7 either, so I feel like I can do a, a much better job when I'm focusing on it, and then I, that ball goes off the window as soon as I... So the, yeah, the good news is most people, if they focus on it for four weeks, then it'll get built in and hard work. And then so like eight months from now, they'll have to, like, hopefully it's, it's more natural. Yeah. Well, I guess leading into... Uh, those questions we mentioned so talking about the weird I guess uh, first one what's something that you believe that maybe others do not say that one what's something that you believe that maybe others may may not believe you can say for you yeah I was say, and that can be in just regular life or in the medical type field I think um one one thing that I don't think anybody realizes is how hard it is to be the best in the world at something. Whether we're talking about athletics, businessman, whatever it takes, I think people don't always expose like what it's taken to get to that point. And it's undersold. What is an overnight success? Yeah. Nobody knows the what what's gone in. Yeah. And Angela Duckworth with her new book Grit really exposes this, which is um, greatness is made uh, every day, a little bit every day. So most people don't have the ability to discipline themselves to do what it takes every day to get themselves better at whatever we're talking about. So I would say that is um, one of the big things that I think people believe that people who are good at stuff, they just wake up and they don't understand the journey that it, that it takes to get yeah. to get that point. you ever read Talent Code? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Do you know Coyle? Yeah, yeah, I feel like there's one other one, too, that talks Talent about Talent's overrated. Oh, yeah. yeah I think I read that was the other one. So... And, and then the sports gene was really interesting. Yeah. So, the, and I mean, uh, Anders Ericsson and Pete kind of talks about how maybe those are great books, by the right. way. But it's it's not just about finding more hours. What Ericsson talks about is it's all about deliberate practice. Yep. So, 
if it was as simple as spending more time doing stuff than all these hacks out hitting golf balls, they would be getting better at golf. But instead, they still suck at golf. And the reason is, is because they don't know how to deliberately practice. They mindlessly go bang balls without like the goal of a good treatment session. And what he talks about in deliberate practice is, if it's fun for you, you're probably not deliberately practicing. Like it's, it's a grind. <laughs> like, and it's exposing you to your weaknesses. You know, so. Can't remember if it was blank or outliers, but Malcolm Gladwell, he covered a lot of that too. Yeah, about like the so. 10,000 hour right. rule and some of that stuff in the deliberate practice. And the, the 10,000 hour rule, I think, is now kind of officially been debunked. Right. Because again, it's not about logging time. Like I get the point. Like you got to be doing something for a while for you to. So that's that is part of it. But what's understated is I think what you do with those 10,000 10, hours. Meaning, like if you and I are studying for a test, I may do just as good of a job as you studying in a half hour as you do in three hours. Right. So it's about being real effective with your your time. Like if you're reading a book, like. This is a noisy environment. You're not going to retain much. Like right. you'd be better served to like put yourself in a quiet spot where you can take notes versus having a TV on as you're, you know, watching your kids as you're doing all these other things. So, yeah. First of all, this is a loaded question, uh, <laughs> uh, but I wonder what other people have said. So I'm gonna have to go back to yes, every one. We ask everybody. Uh, the uh, the other guy that we do the podcast, uh, his answer was aliens. He believes so in aliens. Yeah. Actually twice. yeah, actually, yeah, someone else said that too. Yeah, another chiropractor we talked to said that. Boris was really interesting. Yeah, what were patient? What did someone say? Or the power of presence? That I think it was the power of presence. That was yeah, Corey Campbell is just. He doesn't think enough people are like in that moment, like even with their patient, like his whole thing is like that's they're giving me fifteen to forty five minutes of their day. I need to be in there yeah. with them. And I thought I thought that was pretty profound. So I kinda wanna extrapolate on that because I I believe that with the interactions that we have with our patients, so I'll, I'll use it with like the, the physician, the chiropractor, yeah. uh, but it very well could be a manual therapist. I believe that whether you're given 15 minutes with someone or an hour or in some cases an hour and a half, that you have the full capacity to change the world, and whether it be with that one patient, or like you said, like greatness is done 15 minutes at a time. How about greatness to change, or the impact to change the world is done over years, or with one patient at a time. And so I, I truly, genuinely believe in my entire being that the patient I have in front of me, I'm having a positive impact on this because I, I believe that if I can get them to change some of the things about them, that they can then go back into their environment and enhance whatever it is that we just figured out. Sure. But I think that it's the longevity of that. It's not. I'm not trying to be a pessimist. I'm not. I'm not negative. I purposely choose my words carefully because I know that if I can get them to buy into what I'm saying. I will change their world, and then it's on to the next patient to try to change their world. Soon enough, you know, my, my clinical experience is in its infancy. So I hope in 15 years I look back and I'm that much better than I currently am. But I also hope that in 15 years I look back and I have just accumulated that many amount of patients that I've changed their life, changed their world. And I think that a lot of people will say, yeah, yeah, I, I want to do that too. But deep down in their being, I don't think they even believe it themselves. Um, so just to kind of extrapolate on that, like living in that present moment with the patient, I think it's, I think it's something that is uh, underlooked.
like along that, Corey and I actually talked quite a bit about this, like little games you can play with yourself, like when you walk through the door frame of the treatment room, give a hundred percent. Like imagine if you gave a hundred percent. Imagine right. like in your typical day, like if you just really think about it. Like in the athletic world we talk a lot about like if you're gonna go out and pitch tonight. We don't need you having an argument with your spouse one hour before you go pitch because it will affect the way you pitch. If you have an argument with your spouse before you walk into the treatment room, it will affect your ability to treat that patient. Like it will, right. you know, you got your mind on something else. Yep. So um, my little game I always play is when I walk through the door frame, like 100% focus. And uh, like it sounds like Corey alluded to too, most most thoughts are either racing in the future that's something that's probably not going to occur but you're worried about, or something in the past that you can no longer do anything about. Right. So in case the listeners are wanting to know, Eckhart Tolle's book, The Power Up Now, just exposes this whole idea. Yeah, we've heard of that recommendation a couple of times. So that's that's present time, not just my top books, I would say. That's a yeah. game changer. It really is on that idea because people are not very good at present time consciousness. So be, be enjoyed in the moment. In the beginning, it's so perfect. After Tola talks about like, um, like so for two years he lived on a park bench in Canada, and he was fascinated by just watching like a chipmunk lug a squirrel across the thing. Because you and I, in our typical day, we could have amazing like freak out here that we're staring at. But we're so busy in our day, we wouldn't even take the time to like enjoy. Wow, this is pretty freaking cool. You know? So like being able to take in all that life has to offer with all the senses and all that. It's cool. It's cool. Enjoying, enjoying your life. You know, because you don't. There's no guarantees in this. You know, no one's figured out how not to die. So you, you don't know. You know, we're all slowly becoming a pilot. Gotta enjoy every moment. So what other, we, we've named a ton of books. Do you have any other top recommendations, either of you? I had a great guys weekend when I was young. We were, I was still in chiropractic school and we watched, uh, me and four of my buddies went to watch the Yankees Red Sox game so, at Old Yankee Stadium. So we're coming home and my buddy, who's a total guys guy, I can't believe he recommended this book, but we're in this Hudson News bookstore. He's like, hey, you've got to read this book and it lives. Wayne Dyer's Manifest Your Destiny. And I was just, it was kind of like in a cheesy section. I looked at him like, we just had this awesome guy weekend and you want me to read this cheesy self-help book. But I went on to read every one of Wayne Dyer's books from that point Like, it's just like whenever I get off a little bit and I get frustrated with the world, Wayne Dyer, who's now, he died this year, but like, he puts me in that right exact spot. So the power of intention and Manifest Your Destiny to uh, game-changing books for me, and then um, yeah, I think the, I, I love reading. So the book that I've read lately that really kind of shook me was uh, Anders Ericsson's book that I keep talking about. I think that's like a, the book I've read lately that's really kind of shifted my thoughts. I have, to, I have to give Brett credit for uh, putting one book on my radar, and that was back in uh, September. He taught a class for us up in Chicago, and he tells me I first heard of Simon Sinek. And so uh, I went and watched his you know, TED Talk maybe four or five times, and I was just like blown away on how it's what, sound, yeah, what sounded so simple, uh, you know, was so brilliant, you know, at the same time. So then I got his book, read through his book. Um, and then actually when I teach a seminar, I usually finish 
the day one topic with like one final thought. So I gave my my spiel about um, you know like the why and the importance of starting with why and the what. You know, like I mentioned earlier today, how people will tune you out. You know, they, they don't really care. You know, what treatment you're going to do for them. So even though the book is written with more of a business standpoint, you very easily can translate it nicely to the clinical. Uh, environment and so um, I've noticed with like a short concise why statement that patients are already like their, their brain is already circling around like okay this is this is how I'm gonna get fixed as opposed to okay well, here's six different remedies that just we're gonna throw some herbs this way we're gonna stick needles in here and like okay great three other providers have done that but it's almost like they're buying into exactly what I'm going to prescribe to them. But it's really, it, I, I highly recommend the TED Talks. So I'm actually just getting the book and going through it. It's just taking traditional wisdom and or conventional wisdom and flipping it on its head. It's, it's a game changer for sure. Uh, one more. Um, there's a book called uh, Man's Search for Meaning, Victor Frankl. And it's basically um, a physician who, I think he survived three different concentration camps in Germany. And like, whenever you think you're going through a rough time, like, so basically the, the power of the book is basically it's about ex existentialism. So making yourself answer the vital question, why are you here on earth? And what Frankl found in his research, the people who felt like they were purposely being put through this struggle to make them a better person, like if they had that thought process, they were the people that survived in these concentration camps. So then once he you know, was liberated and freed, then he uh, became a psychologist and he dealt with this with patients. And like that, he thought is so important to people who are like going through a catastrophic diagnosis or you know whatever the injury might be, or if you're just kind of lost in your life, like our people who are healthy mentally in my practice, they have something that rips them out of bed in the morning every day. And then my people who like are in severe depression, they are lost. They don't have their, they haven't figured out their purpose typically in life, or like what gets them up every day. So I think like that would be another one that was like just a really, really amazing read from an amazing person who's gone through a lot of injuries. What would you tell your ten years ago self? You were to um, I think I would um, I, I don't think I enjoyed the journey as much as I do now. Like, just trying to get somewhere too quickly. Like, I would convince myself to be a little bit more patient. And then, um, yeah, and maybe, uh, yeah, I think that would, be, that would be my big thing. Like, looking back, at least on my, my chiropractic career, maybe, um, just to let it happen a little bit more naturally. Like, you don't have to do everything today, but then to like map out your career. That way, like, you kind of have an idea of when you want to learn certain stuff without building up the anxiety of which most students are like, I gotta learn this, I gotta learn this. Instead, like, knowing I need to do this for the next two years, and once I've figured that out, then I'll move on to the next thing. Eric just wants not to suck in her stomach. <laughs> For real, that was her one that she would tell herself is not to do that. But uh, now after going through all this, it's like hilarious and ironic.
Um, about think, five years. Okay. It equally applies five to ten years ago. I think that there's like a switch. So I've been it'll be six years I've been married with my wife and I think that it was right around when I got engaged where this like switch went off where like kind of like the purpose of how it's it's the purpose of living and that sort of thing. And I think that up until you know, 22, 23 years of age, I didn't really invest in other people. I think it was very much here's my day routine, go to school, go to class, do this, play this sport, go to this event with this person. It was all kind of like I was in my own world. And then as I kind of started to to see this different uh, maturity come through, um, I think I started to realize that I started investing into people way late in life. You know, uh, and I currently coach high school soccer, and so that's something I'm trying to influence with the high school players. Is you know, look around you. There's other guys going through maybe some the same crap that you're going through. You know, invest in them and get to know people because getting to know people and investing in others uh, is actually crucial for longevity. Um, and it's actually one of the best ways to stay in touch for a long period of time with men or women as, as you age. So I, I regret looking back at high school and in college on some of the missed investments of relationships that I could have had. Uh, so that's something I'm trying to work on. Sure. I think at that age, too, people are, you're, like when I was 18 years old, I was so selfish. Oh, and like, yes. it's just all about you, and like, you have no concept of what it means to like truly serve people. And I think like, if you you know spend your day like not worrying about yourself, but instead like, how can I continue to help people? How can I not talk about myself? How can I be interested in other people's lives? I think like that's a that's a huge moment for for what we do. You know, like when you walk into a treatment room. Who cares what you've done? It's about the patient and like what they need from you. And I think like. I think physicians in general are very guilty of like more concerned about themselves and not like really finding out like what's up with the patients and um, even like in the study of likability. So I do a drill with my students is because uh, people like their doctors to be likable. So if we give we put names up there like Oprah, is she likable? And of course everyone says yes. So like Jennifer Aniston who she, she's likable from a 90 year old person to females love her like everybody loves Jennifer Aniston and then like we use the non-likables like Lance Armstrong or Tiger Woods and, and then the last question is I go through a bunch of different names and then I have the last one is you so like if the people around you, whether it's your employees, your buddies, like, what would they say about you? Because a lot of times people don't have good perspective about themselves. Like they think they're they're one way, but then when we ask the people around them, they, they you know, it's a real. There's a huge there can be a big disconnect there. So I think like or like if if someone sat next to you in the plane, are you interesting to talk to? Are you vanilla or boring? <laughs> or you just like just sit there and not talk, you know, like so I think it's fun like if you ever sit down the next someone who's like truly interesting. It's one of the best traits a human being can or one of the sexiest traits a human being can have is like to have passion about something. You know, and can, that passion can be anything. So it's engaging, it's contagious almost. Yeah, someone that is passionate. Yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. One hundred percent. Yeah. I worked for um, the, the highway department 
between undergrad and uh, chiropractic school, yeah, in Wisconsin, like back home. And I mean, these guys worked there their whole life and great guys and stuff, but it was just an in-between summer job for me. But what I learned from one of the guys, he was a lifer there. Like, he, he you know, you say what you want about his smoking habits or drinking a 12-pack of Pepsi a day or whatever, but... He was passionate about highways and knew his stuff, you know, like the road construction. So I just learned that, like, it didn't matter what you're doing. It's just, like, whatever you do, just jump in both feet. It's kind of cool. Do it, yeah, do it well. Yeah. Like, yeah, great. Like, even, like, we broke it down to, like, one rep or set in your workout. Always give it, always give it 100%. I think at the end of the day, you're always satisfied. Like, when, at the end of the day, when you're on your deathbed and it's all over, I think the biggest thing, problem would be, like, if you regretted anything, like, if you left it on the table, like, what an amazing feeling to say, man, I freaking gave it everything I had, you know, and I treated people well, my kids still like me, my grandkids like me, you know, like, you... You, you always kind of search, I think, like, how do you leave your mark on the, on the world and the earth, you know? And so, yeah. Most influential purchase for under $100 can be any purchase whatsoever. It has to do with our job? Or anything. Anything at all. It's, I'm going to break the rule on it a little bit, just on the limit, but it's got to be my phone, just because, like, I have Audible on it, so uh, I can, like, pound so much information on books and, you know, podcasts, and, you know, like, that allows me, because I have to travel so much, I'm always able to be taking in information, so um, I would say that's definitely the investment that I've gotten the most out of, although it would probably be more than I sign up for one of those special deals yeah, or something. Yeah. I think I got mine for like a dollar or something. So. Yeah, yeah. yeah somewhere it fits the rule, so. Um, not related to our job or anything like that, but I think, you know, my wife and I like the garage, you know, put a, a garage sales in. Even trash pick, we kind of restore some, some old items. But we recently, our daughter just turned five back in June. And so we got her first two-wheeled bike. We got like a nice, uh, specialized, you know, I couldn't believe someone was selling it for like, I think it was 75 bucks, like a nice kid's one. Um, I mean, so it was 75 bucks, we got it. And it was really, the $75 was for the bike and a little bit of the experience, right? We wanted to like film her first time riding a, a kid's bike. And I kid you not, we never did training wheels. We never did anything wow. with her. She went from like a glider, you know, like one of those um, like shorter, like lower to the ground gliders, not with any pedals on it. And we took her up a hill and we just like <laughs> let her go. I got it on film and she went over 100 feet, stopped on, her, stopped on a dime, got off, ran around. She was super excited. So I think I paid 75 bucks for one heck of an experience. And I got it go. on film. So I think that that's, that's recently that was one of the better purchases. That that's I awesome. I like that. Oh, I that's cool. Yeah. And, and she still has the bike now too. She, she, bike. Yeah. she can pedal pretty fast now and she's only fallen a few times but she gets right back on there. So I'm really really proud of her for that. I'm excited that's to play that at her wedding for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. To get that on film, that's cool. Oh yeah. Um yeah, I guess take in closing, yeah, you got a take home message or uh, three tips that you'd have for uh, listeners or just the, the everyday person? 
One, one, one take home or? Well, I have a bias one because I run an education company. So Go for I, it. Although, even if I didn't run an education company, I would still heavily influence people to continue to learn. So I think that when we stop learning clinically, we stop growing as a person or a, clinic or a clinician. So I'm heavily trying to influence that for the good towards this like newer, modern chiropractor, athletic trainer, physical therapist trying to get you know, get that going in that direction. Because um, I, we've all been the really good attorneys and really bad attorneys, really good chiropractors, really bad ones, and so I'm trying to help steer that in that direction. So continue to learn is something that I try to preach all the time. That's awesome. I think uh, balance too. So trying to be good at what you're doing, but also like, you know, I, I always, always want to be a good dad, be a good husband, be a good friend to my friends. Um, be able to move my body every day, eat well. Like we always say, like you, there's literally a career in every day. Like a, a day is like a mini career, basically. So you know, if you have one day where you drank too much the night before and you're hungover, like you kind of then you just lost a huge opportunity in that that next day. So um, I think that would be my advice of like trying to like figure out the balance and. Uh, I think it's hard, like at times I think like obviously this weekend all my focus is now shifted into work. So then this next week I gotta try to make it up somehow like with my kids or my spouse or you know, like so it's a constant battle, you know, to keep everything uh, together. So I think just always like paying attention to those things though I think is is really important. You try to plan, like schedule things out, like if you're I am a planner. Like to my planner is like yeah, I have to have it like marked in my schedule to be able to go, you know, do the things that I do. Otherwise, it gets filled with other stuff. I think too, if you don't plan, then you almost get like a neurosis that you got to keep doing stuff. So if you have a planner and you said you were going to read um, mechanics of the foot, for example, for 15 minutes, when the 15 minutes are up, you're done. You don't have to feel like the pressure of, oh, I need it to be, I need to keep doing this, you know. Um, yeah, I would say and sleep well would be the other thing. Like sleep, yeah, I think a lot of times we cheat sleep and I learned the hard way. Like I got sick a couple of years ago just from not from burning the candle too much, you know. So now I really kinda of cherish a good night's sleep. <laughs> so yeah. Put it in the schedule, that's perfect. Put it in the schedule. There you go. Where can people find you? Um, we have um, our clinic website which is uh sport.com. So that's probably the, the easiest way to get a hold of me. And uh, I can't thank you guys enough for setting this all up. So yeah, thank you. Podcasts are always fun. Yeah. yeah, especially when you ask awesome questions and you gotta come <laughs> We may or may not borrowed a couple of them from a few others that we listened to. And yeah. We just adapted, but I got asked in a podcast um, if if I was a kitchen utensil, which one would I be and why? I don't remember what I said. But that's I heard people say that on interviews. Yeah, yeah. that's where it came from. Yeah, yeah that, that's something the strangest one that I've that I've gotten. You don't know what you said. I in my, honestly, my answer wasn't very good. It was. Uh, I guess actually, it was something stupid like for multi-purpose or yeah it wasn't like it's one of those I want it back I'm like yeah <laughs> <laughs> if it was a job we wouldn't have got the job 
about cool. you, Alex? Where can people find you? Uh, so you can find the education company is Midwest Rehabilitation Institute. You can find us at www.rehabmri.com, and all my information is on there. There's a contact us page if anybody wants to find out any more DNS courses in their area. We can find uh, stuff for them. Just fill up the contact us page and it'll come directly to me. Awesome. Okay. Sounds great. Thanks for having me on here. Guys. Yeah, yeah. Appreciate it. Part of it. You get all that winked up. Cool. Joel. Awesome. <laughs> Sounds nice. good. Sweet.